Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Meta, a podcast about podcasts, and I'm Peter Wells. And today I'm joined by Tegan Higginbotham and Paul Verhoeven, who have created a new one-off podcast called Red Hot Australian Christmas. It actually sits in the feet of the Loose Units podcast, which is Paul Verhoeven's uh, true crime comedy podcast that he hosts with his dad. If you're a fan of that show, you'll be pleased to hear that uh, both Paul and his dad appear as cameos in this uh, fictional story. Uh, it's based on real events, though, so it, it, it follows a family trying to get together for Christmas while the raging bushfires of love. Last year are circling the property they're on. Uh, it's a great listen. Check it out. Uh, and here is a little clip from the show. Alex, will you come out of the toilet, please? Your sister is here and I need the tot. I'll be on in a minute. Alexandra, this is the first time I've had the entire family under one roof in over six years. So unless you're doing number twos, I'd appreciate it if you could come out and pretend to... Bloody enjoy yourself! Tell me about the podcast you're here to talk about today. Well, it's really funny because the podcast is Loose Units, which is this, you know, really quite sometimes full-on true crime podcast that's been going for ages. But in amongst that, there is an episode of an audio play that I wrote earlier on this year about Christmas in Australia, and it's called Red Hot Australian Christmas. It's actually really sweet and I hope quite heartfelt. So it's this incredibly strange juxtaposition, but really it's, um, yeah, it's Red Hot Australian Christmas. <laughs> so, so tell me about the play. Well, what happened when I was, um, my family moved to Gippsland about four years ago, I think it was. Mm. So Paul and I, uh, we both spent last Christmas in Gippsland. And I know it's hard to think back to the beginning of this year, given everything that's happened in 2020, but we were all on fire. There was a lot of fire. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, fortunately, where my parents are, which is a suburb called Mafra, they weren't close enough to the fires to be, you know, in any real, real threat. But um, It was very picturesque, though. They they had, they had sent us footage and photos of this incredible, basically, it was like the intro to the Neverending Story. It was just boiling <laughs> black was. clouds and the constant smell of smoke, and it was very stressful. And when we were there, we were waking up, and, yeah, the backyard would be filled with smoke. There was one day uh, where we had to get the uh, hoses out because ash would occasionally fall on the property, and you just want to make sure that didn't set off any little fires. So... That was kind of strange. You know, already there was this very strange feeling about Christmas. And um, on top of that, there was one night, and I should point out that I am mad up for Christmas. I love it. Put a light on <laughs> goddamn everything. I'm, I'm all there for it. And um, my mum said, hey, I've heard that there's this bloke, there's this farmer who does a pretty mean set of Christmas lights. So we packed all the kids into the car and went down to this this property, it's, got, it's, on, it's on this road called Three Chains Road. I remember that. 
And to say that this guy had pushed the boat out would be the understatement of the century. Yeah, it was about the size and energy consumption level of Chinatown. It I'm was surprised crazy. it wasn't humming. You yeah, know? it was. You could hear this radioactive woo, 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 as you rounded the horizon. It was amazing. And so this bloke has put lights, like not on his house, but the entire property. There are blown up Santa Clauses, by which I mean blow up, not, not exploded. Um, yeah. Uh, and you, there were that many people there that he's literally had to uh, borrow the next door's paddock to set up official <laughs> parking. Like it was insane. And we were walking around this and I am in absolute heaven. There are children handing out chocolates, all sorts of things. And then at the very back, the centerpiece of all this was this beautiful, massive, blue glowing tree, all these blue baubles on it. So we slowly headed back towards this tree and I could see people um, writing things on the baubles and then handing them and then hanging them on the tree. And I was like, oh, cool, maybe this is what you do. You pay some money, you hang a bauble, and this is how this guy, I assume, pays for his exorbitant power bill. Yeah, or to <laughs> bribe the government so that he doesn't take out the central grid Whatever every Christmas. <laughs> but then um, we got a little bit closer and I um, and I saw that all the signs around this little table were about beyond blue. And upon reading, I realized that what you were meant to do is is pop some money in, certainly, but you were meant to write the name down of somebody that you had lost to suicide. And oh, suddenly, yeah. yeah, this whole thing, I just, like this tree was was massive, Peter. This tree was just too big. And um, and it really, you know, it really affected me. And, and that was after a year where I'd heard a couple of, you know, sad stories that aren't, aren't my stories to share, but from people in the local area. So we're driving home and it was just this um, this really strange feeling, a beautiful Christmas, lovely time with family. But some of these things are just, you know, particularly the fires. This is going to be a sort of new reality for a lot of people at Christmas time yeah. in Australia. Not really new. I mean, since releasing this episode, we've heard so many people reaching out about their stories of, you know, fleeing for their lives at Christmas. Well, and, yeah, um, I mean, Loose Units is a, I mean, it is a podcast where I sit down with my dad who's ex-emergency services and he was a cop ooh. and a firefighter and we did this season a couple of years back about his time in the fire brigade mm. and that was around the time we started getting a lot of correspondence from listeners who would say things like, um, I've seen countless dead bodies and burned buildings and been through all these traumas and didn't know I was allowed to talk about them. Mm. And so it seemed a really natural fit to get Tegan's amazing play about, you know, um, a really unique side of Christmas and a part of the country where people don't really talk about this stuff. But, you know, know, despite those two pretty heavy uh, themes, it is a comedy and I think it it does celebrate, you know, some of the things that I really love about the Australian character and, you know, there's this central character which is Heather, this mum who is... I think so many of our mums wrapped into one. The, your mum is your mum was there for a reading of the play, and do you remember whether she thought that was based on her? Because I no, I think she was a bit daft. It was clearly her. <laughs> she didn't pick up on it. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's this, it's just this wonderful family just trying to make things work, and just they all want to be together, and they all love each other to death. And there are problems because there always are at Christmas. But I wanted to celebrate that beautiful element of family as well, and a really, you know, the reality of Christmas, which is it is quite stressful, but it, it is a beautiful time. So yeah, sorry that was a really long answer. I apologize. No, perfect. I, I love long answers. So, so did you write this last Christmas? Mm. I wrote it in January of this year. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the idea really hit me after the Christmas of 2019 and yeah. wrote it at the beginning of the year. And I'd written it initially because I, I love Christmas and I also love a bloody deadline. And I'd heard that the BBC 
were running this competition, this international playwright competition. And so I wrote the um, the radio play for that and submitted it and was, you know, very, very excited. And then Corona hit and I just didn't hear back anything for a very, very long time. Yeah. And so just decided that I still was really passionate about this this audio drama and wanted to make it myself. And then I found out mm-hmm. that the competition had gone ahead last week and I didn't win, which is good because I'd made it myself. <laughs> and I've never been more relieved not to have won something in my life. Ah, but you did receive a commendation. I did. So you got Which the... I assume was from the Queen. I don't know how it works at the BBC. Oh, uh, they just send you a bottle of Worcestershire sauce and oh, say thank good. you. Yeah, but it was effectively, you got the kudos from the BBC, which is a really big deal, without the litigiousness of having made <laughs> the thing you weren't meant to make. Yeah, so, you know, whew, that was a good moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was such a, an amazing time last year. I'm sure everyone can remember back, even if you weren't caught up as you were right in the thick of it. I, I remember being on a beach in uh, Newcastle. Mm, and oh, wow, yeah. Like I, I had had a, a very strange Christmas uh, to begin with, but uh, this was a couple of days after Christmas and I was heading back down and just sitting on the beach and like everyone was playing in the sand and 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 the and the water and it was such a stinking hot day mm. but there was just smoke everywhere like newcastle was in no danger at all right but it was apocalypse all around us and we were all just having a great time at the beach we've all lived through giant ass bushfires in this country but that one really felt like it was almost david lynchian in 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 the way it was in the art direction yeah, it really did. I mean, my my best mate's mum was one of the people trapped on the beach down at Malakuta. And, mm. you know, this is, you know, this actually, her name was Heather, which was the name of the character in, in the play. And, um, you know, all of a sudden hearing about this woman that I've grown up with and, you know, I used to have sleepovers at her house was suddenly getting onto military ships and, you know, she doesn't know if she's going to be able to get to her car again. And you saw the photos that of what they were experiencing and you're right it looked it looked straight from hell and it was that that very i suppose a very um painful wake up call for a lot of us that you know this is all happening and might happen again and yeah it felt very unsettling I find it really interesting that a lot of our Lucinus listeners are around the world and so it was really great because we have a lot of people in Australia who you know listen to the show and we were kind of going how are they going to react to a full-length audio play, right? Mm. And how are they going to re- react to a full-length audio Christmas play? And the thing they said was, this is exactly what it feels like to have an Australian Christmas under these circumstances. But also, can you imagine being like a, a listener of Loose Units in England and having no concept of, you know, bushfires and no concept of a hot Christmas and listening to this extremely Australian thing? And I think so far the feedback has been, Christmas has so many universal you know, tentpole moments. It has stressful families and it has obligations. Mm-hmm. It has you know, all these pressures. Um, and I think I, I really like that Tegan's managed to, um, I think, walk that line. And Tegan, how did you find the the cast? The cast were absolutely incredible. I mean, this was my first real uh, shot at directing and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I think that, um, you know, you, you, you choose these wonderful performers because you already know they've got bucket loads of talent but then for them to be in this space, and we recorded this entire thing in under three hours, which in retrospect wasn't enough time, um, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> they, they did amazingly. It was more that I was just stressed out of my mind. But, um, you know, just hearing, you know, people such as Michaela Bannis, who I've watched for such a long time, and Bev Killick, who is this, you know, 
this iconic Melbourne comedian slip into these roles and bring new life to them. It was actually quite humbling to see the, the work brought to life and also to get to work with people like Kirsty Webeck, who I've only known in a stand-up comedy capacity and seeing this incredible performance come out. I mean, it really did feel like such a privilege to be in the room. Mm-hmm. Jackson Tozer, who played the role of Danny, he unfortunately wasn't able to be there on the day, which worked out well because we were at the legal um, capacity for the number of people we were allowed to have in the room. And even he, like, he's audio slotted in perfectly, so bloody talented. What was fascinating, though, was... um. In the lead up to this, we reached out to a couple of people who are really in that audio drama world, uh, Dirk Maggs being one of them. And he had some of the most fantastic tips on how we could really capture this audio. Uh, but what was interesting is that it was just, I suppose, another way of cementing for me that, yeah, in Australia, things are different, not only at Christmas, but everything we've been through this year was different because he would make suggestions like, oh, you know, for the bit where everybody's standing in the in the bathroom and they're hiding basically in this toilet cubicle, get the actors into a toilet cubicle. And I was like, mate, we can't do this. It's illegal. That would be against the law <laughs> for me to put people in a room that close. So also the fact that the actors were able to create this real intimacy when they were spaced out in quite a big recording studio Mm, mm. at their 1.5 meter distance. We didn't have any opportunity to meet together for a rehearsal in the lead up. I I, I was really, really impressed. And and what is it like directing a uh, a fiction theatre production purely for audio? I spent a lot more time with my eyes closed than I thought I would. Um, and I think it made me look like a giant wanker just sitting there like, mm, yeah, mm, beautiful. Um, but it was, uh, I don't know, it, it's a really interesting question. I suppose in one hand it was easier because I'm not having to worry about lining up a shot. It was that beautiful moment of just getting to close my eyes and let these people tell this story with their voices and and just going, yeah, that was it. And occasionally things would happen, you know. There was one scene that I thought we'd have to spend a lot more time on, which is where uh, Heather is talking to her husband, Brian. So it's the actress uh, Bev Killick and Eddie Baru, and they're discussing the fact that that Brian won't address the fact that his best friend had died by suicide. And this is kind of a, you know, this is one of the heavier scenes, and I really thought we'd have to linger on it. And then those two just they just got it in the first take and just hearing that in their voices, it was so beautiful. So yeah, it was, it was tricky in that timing wise, occasionally I had really specific beats that I wanted us to hit and that we really didn't have a lot of time to linger on some of those more technical scenes where we're pushing people into boats and people are running for their lives and yeah. they're not because they're in a studio in Collingwood yeah. <laughs> trying to capture ooh, that. Ooh. But um, on the whole, you know, there were some bits that were actually just, I, I just got to sit back and experience it. If it makes you feel less like a wanker, um, I, I spend most of my time with my eyes closed when <laughs> I do these uh, interviews. I just find it helps. So there you go. Um, whatever whatever gets you through the production. Um, Paul, you did uh, a lot of the audio production on this. Um, what what was the what were some of the challenges there in terms of uh, creating a, a soundscape uh, for for the um, narration. First of all, um, I had basically been raised on audio plays and audio dramas. So I kind of knew what kind of an ambitious sound I wanted to build. Tegan had written something that was really, really sonically dense. And I think because Tegan, you're a very visual person. Um, 
in some scenes it was written as you know it felt like it was written for screen or stage and uh and and that's you know that's very natural and i think the assumption was oh it'll be fine we'll just chuck in some sound effects what i discovered was because this is the first time i've done anything longer than a skit basically and so i had to take six disparate performances performed in a kind of semicircle on radio mics in a room as tegan said in a studio in collingwood and then I had to take several performers who were off-site, including, as Tegan mentioned, Jackson Toza. Um, my dad, John, who I do the podcast with, he plays the premier of Victoria. And he's a Sydney sider, so he didn't really initially inhabit the, the Dandrews kind of vibe, but we, we coached him through it. Uh, and then Georgia Love, who played a, a newscaster. And so one of the challenges was slotting it together like a reverse engineered uh, audio puzzle and then doing things like going, okay, how do I make it sound like they are in a toilet without, as Tegan mentioned, actually cramming <laughs> them into a, into a physical toilet? And so I would have to, you know, research audio filters, build things around each other, and then account for the fact that, look, people like Bev Killick have she has the lung span of 15 people and other performers were very quiet. And I know that sounds basic, but because we had, as you mentioned, Tegan, three hours I couldn't get do-overs. I mm. couldn't get performers to come in and do a different performance. So it was really interesting sitting there with just terabytes of audio and going, all right, I need to build this into something that sounds like they're in the outback or in the corridor of a rural home or in the in, in a ute. Um, and, I, I mean, I hope I achieved it. I mean, it was really thoroughly enjoyable. The challenge was, uh, and the thing we figured out very early was, Let's treat every scene like it's a separate play. Yeah. So go, okay, just just little self-contained islands and then stitch them together at the end. I have never been so exhausted or gratified by anything I've done creatively before uh, as I was turning uh, the recording sessions into into the finished product. Mm. Yeah. And and Paul, uh, what were the what were the audio plays that you were raised on? I'm I'm imagining uh, Hitchhiker's Guide and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide was a really big deal for me. And so when I became friends with Dirk Mags about this time last year, I had to interview him about his Alien Three audio play based on William Gibson's kind of unmade sequel to Aliens, which is really good. If you haven't listened to it, it's bloody fantastic. It's, it's really really good. So William Gibson was commissioned, the author of Neuromancer was commissioned to write a threequel to Alien. Uh, to the sequel to Aliens. And so I chatted with Lance Henriksen, who played Bishop. I chatted with uh, Dirk Maggs, and I found out that Dirk actually did a bunch of the later Hitchhiker's Guide series. And so we got to talking about that. But my big audio play kind of thing is Big Finish, and they do all the official Doctor Who audio plays. And one of the great things about audio is that you can do something that would be exorbitantly expensive visually uh, mm. for the cheap because the, the the human imagination listens to something and it wants to populate your mind palace with all kinds of incredible things. And yeah, all the stuff I listened to growing up and even, even comedy like the goon show, um, which coincidentally was recorded on a row of microphones with people reading off scripts, which is what we did here. You yeah. Know. What's what I've found interesting. Cause I'm newer to the world of, you know, these audio plays, audio dramas. I know some people call them different things, but, um, this is, yeah, this is a newer thing for me. And, Initially, I went into a little bit cynically and I assumed that the pictures would be smaller and that the experience would be smaller. Mm. And quite the opposite, I'm finding that by not sitting there in front of my television and as is often the experience now, half watching it, half tweeting at the same time, the worlds that I'm experiencing and these characters actually feel so much more personal to me. Mm. The pictures are bigger, the feelings are bigger and... I'm seeing more and more happen in this area mm. and I feel like we 
could actually be on the edge of a real resurgence in this sort of storytelling. And I know personally as a creative, I mean, back when I used to do stand-up, one of the things I adored about it was the fact that you could have an idea, you could write the joke, write the show, whatever it was, register, and then you could do it. You weren't necessarily constantly having to wait for funding or for a green light or for somebody else to say yes for you to create this thing. And although I wouldn't put you through what I've just put you through with this project (laughs) anytime soon, it does, it really opens up this world for creatives to not necessarily always have to think about the thing that you can shoot in one location with zero budget. You can go big, you can explore sci-fi and crazy, you know, you can have a fire burning over a hill towards this poor family stranded in Gippsland and you can do that reasonably and still tell that story and and I think that that's really exciting. And I think one of the great things is now um, I'm realising that, yeah, a lot more is possible, a lot more is possible than I thought was in terms of the realm of storytelling. I mean, I'm sitting there looking at Electric Blue and just going, God, could that get the audiobook treatment? I'm sitting there looking at every screenplay I've ever kind of thought about but Mm. never really had the guts to do and just going, you know, audio lets you do so much. I mean, like you said, the fire that's really, really hard to do. But in audio, you can just hear the thing getting closer and closer and closer. Mm. And thanks to the incredible cast and the superb direction, uh, <laughs> you do just sort of have this thing playing out in your head. And what's great is everyone who listens is going to see that differently. Everyone gets their yeah, own that's fascinating. version. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and when you're when you're mixing that audio down, is there uh, did you did you find that you kind of went a little bit overboard the first time around, and um, and you had to pare back some of the the audio? Uh, well- yeah, the first time you sounded <laughs> it sounded like the family was on fire because you just had, you had this constant crackling. <laughs> yeah, look, all right, and then you had these children screaming in the background. I was like, oh, Paul, this is not Christmas anymore. Like it was like. It was horrible. Yeah, it was, look, it was tricky. I mean, it was a learning experience because I, I mean, first of all, we actually went to Lake Glen Maggie the other day. We were going to visit Tegan's parents over in Mafra where they actually do live. And we drove past Lake Glen Maggie, which sort of forms the kind of, it's a big part of the story. And I hadn't been there. And I was struck by how incredibly different it was to what I'd visualized. But I think when mixing stuff, um, one of the challenges was basically figuring out, yeah, what sounded real and what sounded comic book, because there are comic book, you know, kind of panic sounds and screams. And then there are realistic ones. There were times where I had to get the mic and actually hold it up uh, kind of in my direction and shuffle around on the floor Mm. or do kind of Foley. Um, I was chatting with Nick Briggs uh, over at Big Finish a couple of weeks back and he was showing me his setup and he literally has like a kitty litter tray full of gravel and celery sticks and old machine parts. And it was amazing how much stuff I had to do in post. I would do so much differently on the day if mm. I could. I would get people to just do sound effects live if I could. Yeah, speaking know. of sound effects, we've kindly added this wonderful train soundtrack into the background of this whole conversation. I'm not sure if you can hear this. We did that as a special treat. Yeah. It's actually just oh, celery. <laughs> it's it's just celery, huh? Yeah. So I was going to ask if you're if you're recording over a uh, a level crossing. But yeah, fair we, enough. Fair enough. We actually are. I really apologise, but um, no, it's fine. It, it adds a certain kind of uh, you know ambiance uh, to, to, to the mix. But on the sound effects, though, the one other thing I I think um, what we did realise really early on is it's better to not have the sound effect and let the brain fill that space in mm. rather than trying to put in something that does come across cartoony. Oh. Footsteps was the big thing we discovered yeah, early when I, on. Yeah, when I played Tegan back some stuff, 
everyone had footsteps. I mean, everyone, anytime they moved, had footsteps. And it did sound a bit mm-hmm. like they were wearing clogs in a dance hall. It was not great. Um, and then we just, yeah, you did say, look, you, not everyone makes audible footsteps when they move around. Yeah. So I discovered that what I could do is actually make someone's voice kind of go from center to right channel and then fade as it went. So you kind of get the impression. There were so many little tricks that kind of got implemented mm-hmm. here. And I think, as someone pointed out, if an audio person is doing their job right, you don't necessarily um, uh, perceive what's happening. You only notice it when it's bad, mm. right? It and sticks that, out. It sticks yeah. out, yeah. Uh, and so the proceeds for this this episode go to standby support? Yes, that's correct. So they help people um, going through bereavement uh, if they have lost someone to suicide. And we initially, um, they reached out to us quite a few months ago Mm. because Loose Units was doing a podcast about the emergency services and particularly about mental health and suicide in the emergency services, which is, you know, unfortunately very prevalent. And um, Karen, who works over at Standby Support, she reached out with just some really wonderful feedback on how to discuss this stuff publicly. And we really wanted to team up with them. So there's been a, a little bit of a relationship there between Standby Support and Loose Units already for a little while. Mm. And once again, with this radio play, it just felt um, it felt like a really logical fit. I think a lot of people are going through really tough times in Australia at the moment, not only with the fires at the beginning of the year and climate change, all that sort of stuff, but then, you know, add the global pandemic on top of that. And, <laughs> and there's a lot of... Um, yeah, there's a lot of people suffering mental health-wise and this just felt like a really nice thing to be able to do, I suppose. And you've seen that stuff directly, like you said, with the Christmas tree and the kind of, you know, that precinct. But also your parents were volunteer firefighters in the uh, CFA. They were. And they live in areas affected by this. And that's kind of your home part of the time, my home. You know, it's, yeah. that's, we spend a fair bit of time there and it just it feels extremely personal now. Uh, and it seems like, yeah, the, the standby support link seems like a really good fit and a good cause. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it, it's, a, it, it's a, um, a charity near and dear to my heart, is all I'll say. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're going to have to go north through Glen Maggie. What? But that's in the opposite direction. No choice, love. You know what to do. I'll see you there. Shit. Glen Maggie. Is that a big town? No. So why are we going there? Because Glen Maggie has a whopping big lake in the middle of it. And? And, if we need to, we can get in. God, I hate this country. Who am I? So, so tell me about uh, Loose Units, though, Paul. It's been a while since we've chatted. Uh, so, you know, uh, in, in that time since we last chatted, uh, you did release uh, yet another 
book based on the the discussions that you've had with your father. Uh, how's it all going? It's going really well. Um, I know that 80s nostalgia has kind of hit this weird overdose point, but I thought, mm-hmm. you know what? The field's not saturated <laughs> enough. So I'm going to write basically CSI in the 80s in Australia. So yeah, Electric Blue is, yeah, it's about dad's time in forensics, basically. Um, and it's been interesting to launch a book during the pandemic. I mean, yeah, it's been a really, really interesting challenge. The podcast, however, has done something really strange, and that is that Dad and I started doing a bonus episode every week called Loose Ends, which was basically just, look, we just want to catch up at the end of each week and see how everyone's holding up during this period. Because yeah, Bless, you thought you were going to do a couple of extra episodes when everybody thought pandemic was going to be like a fortnight. Yeah, so we've done about 40 of those. Uh, so... <laughs> And what's interesting is I thought, because when Tegan, Dad, and I did our live, we were doing a Brisbane or Adelaide tour and we did a road trip and we all kind of got a bit jack of each other. It was just so much Dad and God bless him, but he's a, he's a big personality. He's very extra. But something wonderful happened during lockdown. Uh, every week I started to really crave these bonus episodes with Dad. I really started to kind of just need to talk to my dad and the bonus episodes have sort of become this real shining light each week and this really wonderful way. I've grown closer to dad throughout this period. And I think what was really nice was when Tegan approached him and said, would you like to play the premiere of Victoria (laughs) in this Christmas show? Because we'd all grown so much closer just by literally doubling the amount of podcasts we do. He was, I mean, he was bang up for it, you know? He really was. And I think I I have a very small behind the scenes role in Loose Units. Um, Oh, it's not small at all. It's huge. Well, I, I just think that this year in particular, we went in and the real focus was going to be Electric Blue, the book, and which has just been, it is such a great book and you must tell Peter about the special thing at the end because you never talk about it and it's wonderful. Should I do it now? Or? In just a minute. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, but another thing happened this year and I, I'm sure John would be okay with me sharing this because he's spoken about it very openly on the podcast, but, you know, Electric Blue is a book that really went into the relationship between Paul and John It's about fathers and sons. It's about all the things that go unsaid between fathers and sons. And um, this year, John lost his dad. So in the midst of all this podcasting about father and son relationships, John, you know, went through that and it was pretty, um, you know, it was a pretty tough time for him. Mm. And I think that the podcast brought you to, I mean, I, I already would have thought that you two were very close after everything you'd been through, but but talking so openly and sharing so much stuff on the podcast, I think it brought you both much closer together. And I, um, I, I was, I was pretty impressed of how deep you both went. What's weird is we started doing a season about dad's time when he was running a funeral home, because I didn't remember that he was, that we actually basically were six feet under style, a family running a funeral home when I was about 11 or 12. Um, While dad was a firefighter, he was also running this funeral home called Kinsella Funerals. And there's a chapter in the book about it. uh, So we thought, look, let's do a season about it. One episode in dad's dad, my grandfather passes away. And what happened was dad started to sort of lean on me and Tegan, but also on the loose units kind of listeners all over the world. They were really supportive. They were amazing. We sort of formed this big global support network. And so, yeah, it just seems like everything we do sort of ties back to that core tenet of uh, you should talk to your loved ones openly and honestly, if you can and try and take care of family. And so it just seemed like such an obvious organic place to put red hot Australian Christmas mm. on the loose unit, uh, on the loose units feed. Um, but 
Tell them about the uh, about the thing. thing. Yeah. So the whole the whole story. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, I no. get excited about it. I really appreciate that. So okay, so uh, obviously loose units is you know true crime, father son, you know semi fictionalized, but it's all based on true cases. And I wanted to tackle forensics. And Dad's biggest case in forensics involved him finding a uh, headless, handless body in Karingai Chase National Park uh, late one night. I remember that. Yeah. 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 And he and he got in trouble uh, because he kind of muffed it. And he kind of, yeah, did, did he got kind of raked over the coals for that. And so I said, look, because I have ADHD, um, I would like to present you, Dad, with something that I'm presented with all the time. And that is, I would like to let you have a do-over of that night. And he didn't understand the concept. And I said, no, no, because all I think about is what ifs and what have I done things differently. You're very singular. So I'm going to take your case, that one terrible case, and I'm going to turn it into a 100-page period perfect font perfect choose your own adventure story for adults at the end of the book and you will get to do things differently you'll get to actually play as yourself and go back and and give it a do-over so it's a book about fathers and sons but it's also a book about choices and so yeah at the end of the book you turn the page the font changes there's illustrations and you are inside an honest to god replica of a classic 80s choose your own adventure story but you're playing as young john verhoven in the middle of the woods at night and it's this big sprawling meta-narrative and god bless penguin publishing for kind of approving it and really my editor was so patient he'd, he'd only ever done um non-fiction before mm. and suddenly he had this semi-fictionalized I mean, what even is it? It's like 50 genres in one, this book. But. I got excited, though, because in the first Loose Units book, there is a whole chapter, which as a joke, and it works completely if you read the book, mm. the text is redacted. And so you turn the page. It's really funny because it's actually meant to be the story of John, uh, Paul's parents, John and Christine. And their first night together. Their first night together. So yeah. Paul redacted it from the book. As a, as, a, as a joke. And once a week, without fail, sometimes <laughs> more, I will get a message from people on the Loose Units page going, something went wrong in the printing of my book. And they panic that, <laughs> that the printer's messed Sometimes up. they're mad. Sometimes they just send a photo going, what the hell is this? What has happened? Yeah. Um, and, it's, and you always just have to go, no, no, if you read it, just read the book because they do that thing they skim through and then they see that and panic just read the book and it will make sense Mm. and I was just bracing myself for the level of epic fuckery that was going to happen if people suddenly (laughs) saw that they had to choose their way through the end of your book yeah but it actually didn't happen and people have really embraced it it's really nice because you know I what I do is I tell the story of how the case went and then I let them do it again and they can either follow the way it went the first time thereby proving dad's point that you know um, wondering about what what if uh, isn't helpful, or you can just go off in a completely different direction. And it's just sort of this really, really ambitious thing that I wanted to do, and it seems to be going very well. It's, it's very enjoyable, but it feels like everything I do this year and everything we do has a link to storytelling in some way. Um, and Dad's an amazing storyteller, and Loose Units is a platform for a very eccentric storyteller and his very patient son. Um and it's just been really, really nice uh, during the book launch period, you know, during the press period and doing, you know, uh, literary festivals and whatnot on Zoom, might I add, to have mm. Tegan give me this incredibly fragile, precious thing and go, like, just for a week, do you want to do something else? And I just leapt at the chance to do it because, you know, um, it's one thing to work on your own stuff. It's another to take someone else's biggest creative endeavor and really try and treat it as respectfully as you can. Did I ever overstep 
the mark or make creative calls or did you feel like I was easy to work no, with? No, no, no. You were great. You were great. I just put you back in your little box and told you to edit another scene. <laughs> it worked, worked a bloody treat. <laughs> and I, you know what? You, you, you joke about it, you know, not wanting to put me through it again, but I would do it again in a heartbeat. Oh, that's lovely. You know, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. I'm just going to go grab a coffee and let you guys uh, finish off the interview together. But um, <laughs> I, I want to go back to uh, the idea you just said, Paul, of um, that that the podcast uh, kind of started doing a, a reach out to the audience, a, you know, a check in with the audience. Because I've heard that from quite a few different podcasters this year that that so many, um, you know, w- one of the podcasts I love is an AFL show, um, and these these women talk about. Uh, AFL each week. And of course, at the start of the p- pandemic, AFL was cancelled and they continued to show up to the mic every week because they understood that their audience needed something. They, ne- they needed some kind of, uh, you know, consistency to get them through this very weird emotional time in their life. Um, it, it, what what kind of feedback have you gotten from the community about uh, the, the after shows and um, those moments you've been having with your dad? I think people are really enjoying and valuing them. I mean, Lucy and its listeners are extremely loyal. And I think one of the great things about podcasts, uh, as many of us know now, is that you kind of get to know the hosts better than they know each other and better than they know themselves. And I think whenever we do live shows, we meet these people and they're just the most incredible people. But a lot of them, yeah, a lot of them do either work in the emergency services and as a result have seen untold traumas. Or we did uh, a season recently, yeah, the funeral home season, and suddenly talking about death openly has led to some of our most frank conversations with listeners yet. Um, and I think having these two people that, you know, for all intents and purposes are your friends, talk to you each week about just how hard it is, is really nice. But we, we kind of danced this line, Tegan, you'll remember this. We, we didn't want to, at the start, talk about the pandemic. We actually spent a little while going, look, the last thing people want to hear about is the pandemic. So let's just keep doing the show as normal. And then eventually, I think it was dad who said, I think we should be doing an extra podcast. It was actually, yeah, it was John who brought this up. And um, Paul and I were lucky because we, we, you know, we had each other through this, but the isolation, you know, we've all really learned something this year about um, what it is to be taken away from our families and our communities and our workplaces Mm. And I think, yeah, those gestures from podcasters, whether it's about football or true crime or your favourite television shows, just that ability to keep that connection going and give that moment. Because when you are listening to podcasters, it's completely different from television. You are having a conversation. It is a relationship with these people. So Mm -hmm. I think it's, um, I, I likewise, I saw quite a few podcasts doing it and I think it was a really good thing to do this year. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, so Paul, you mentioned the uh, live shows and, and um, I, I've got a friend who's been to a couple of your live shows and absolutely loved them. Um, so, so how much of, how much of that was missing from your life and, and what are the plans to get back on stage? We want to do live shows. Um, the closest thing we did was the book launch for Electric Blue, which we did on Zoom. And uh, Tegan, you steered the ship. I mean, that was terrifying. We had hundreds of people running this thing on Zoom. And we had um, Kumi from uh, from the ABC hosting it. And what it was, was it was it was basically listeners who would have gone to live shows hopping on Zoom and presumably wearing track pants and sitting around with a glass of wine and just sort of, you know, um, watching Dad and I riff but the live shows really have a kind of special energy in that I get to edit dad 
And if he's on stage, <laughs> he knows that he has a certain uh, freedom, which he wouldn't have in the studio. And there's just a real energy in the room. I mean, the last live shows we did were at the um, the sit-down comedy club over in Brisbane, and it was two nights in a row of just absolute anarchy, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, there's a whole bunch of places we want to go the second we can. We want to get to Tasmania. We'd love to do New Zealand. We saw this explosion in uh, listenership in New Zealand, specifically during lockdown. I don't know why. Um, maybe Jacinda's a fan. God, I hope she is. Um, but yeah, I mean, the live shows are really enjoyable. Um, Dad's really keen. His ego is bigger than ever. So he naturally wants people to clap for him uh, in person. <laughs> and I think, you know, I mean, the recent implication that cin- cinemas are going to be closing just highlight, and, and, you know, most people I know's reaction to that highlights the fact that sometimes people want to go out and sit around other people and, and watch something entertaining happening in a live venue and whilst mum because i haven't seen my parents for what was it eight nine months now because of lockdown and we would have been doing live shows this year we absolutely would have we wanted to do a live series of events for the electric blue launch we wanted to hop from city to city and do live events and so i think next year is probably going to be us kind of dipping our toe back in the water and kind of returning um to the stage i think would you ever do a stage version of uh, Red Hot Australian Christmas? Maybe, yeah. It's something I, I like thinking about. I think that a lot of people are missing the stage and you're right, that desire to come out and share an experience is, I know I'm looking forward to getting back out and seeing some stuff. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I saw Paw Patrol at the cinema the other day and uh, look, <laughs> would, it wouldn't have been my, my first pick to get back into the cinema, but I enjoyed the experience. Oh, you know, Tenant or Paw Patrol, much the muchness, really. <laughs> Christopher Nolan's Paw Patrol is a lot grittier than I thought it would be. (laughs) Well, is is there anything else you wanted to say before we say goodbye? No, I mean, I just, I think that's it. It's so lovely that you you reached out to chat to us. I am besotted with all the performances that we got in Red Hot Australian Christmas. So just more love for the incredible actors, really. I think they were just bloody brilliant. Yeah, and please, if you can, uh, listen to the show, tell people about it, and then donate to standby support. We think it's a really important cause. And I'm just, I am just so chuffed to have been, I mean, Tegan, I know this is nepotism of the highest order and we are married, but uh, thank you for letting me help cobble this thing together. Cause uh. it's, it's really, really good. Um, it's a really, really good story about really good complex people. And I, I think, I hope if you're an overseas listener, you're not perturbed by the Australianness of it. I think, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's extraordinarily it's pretty true. Blue. It's so bloody Australian. It's Kevin bloody Wilson. Great Australian. How dare you? Who's the other guy? Who's the true blue guy? Kevin. Will- no, it's John Williams. John Williams. It's the other John Williams. No, John, John Williamson. No, it's not John Williamson. Williams. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah it's that Williamson. One. Imagine doing the Death Star run with true blue playing. <laughs> just, oh, no. just wouldn't work. <laughs> anyway. No, I th- in long, uh, long story short, I think that's it. Yeah. I've got a, of course, um, a very long uh, car trip ahead of me for Christmas. That that is traditional. So um, yeah, it's it's one of the ones that it, it's not going to be uh, too distracting and drive me off the road. I don't think so. Although my character, I actually play a small role in the show as a British. Um, how would you describe Matthew? Fop. He's a bit of a fop, and he's a bit precious, and he does get the squirts at one point, and that kind of becomes a running 
plot line. So a running plot line. You will hear literally. me. You will hear me literally running from the left to the right channels. So by all means, I mean, I know it's not safe to do this, but if you could like sit on the gear sticks so you're de- like perfectly distant between the left and right speakers, <laughs> as the engineer, I would greatly appreciate that. <laughs> I'll try my best. And and actually, one other thing, Ia, can I listen to it in front of my kids? Yes. Um, I am a sweary canary by nature and I did not put any swears in this, did I? No, I don't think there's any swear no, words no, in this. No, it is a I family mean, show. There are themes of bushfires and there is, you know, there is that undercurrent theme of suicide, which mm. is not, it's not thrown in anybody's face. I, I really wanted to approach it very gently. And um, I even checked the scripts with standby support just to make sure that I had their tick of approval with how we'd approach the subject matter. Mm. So, you know, if they're very little kids and they're not ready for that content, maybe later, but mm-hmm. it is handled very gently. And there are there are also technically children in the story yeah. who were actually... Um, My niece and nephew. Yes, yeah, so we took the microphone over to your niece and nephew's house and got them to run around and scream and you'll hear Turns them. out they're really good at that. Just they're, right off the cuff, they'll do it. They're going to get typecast though <laughs> as runners and screamers. Yeah, but it's, uh, you know, it is, it is, I think, actually in keeping with the grand tradition of Christmas stories and that it, it is for all ages. It is a family story. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Peter. Pleasure. My thanks again to Lauren Watson for designing the artwork, to James Smith for editing this. Sorry, James, I always got it to you late. And to everyone out in podcast listener land for listening. If you dig this show, uh, feel free to give it a couple of stars on Apple Podcasts. That will really help other people find this show. And you can also get in touch with me, suggest new people to interview or if you've got a podcast yourself why don't you drop me a line and see if uh, we should talk um, <laughs> and I know most podcasts are going on holiday soon so why don't you check out some of the uh, past episodes there's some fantastic conversations in there I love Ono Ross and Kerry I love Carol Swisher I love so, so many of the people I've had a chance to chat to so far so yeah go check it out no way oh god come on hang on Oh, yes. Thank Christ. (laughs) Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.